Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 1 Samuel chapter 15 from the World English Bible. Samuel said to Saul, Yahweh sent me to anoint you to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the voice of Yahweh's words. Yahweh of armies says, I remember what Amalek did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way when he came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and don't spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing baby, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Saul summoned the people and counted them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Saul struck the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, that is, before Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, of the cattle, and of the fat calves, and the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then Yahweh's word came to Samuel, saying, It grieves me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry, and he cried to Yahweh all night. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and Samuel was told, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, You are blessed by Yahweh. I have performed the commandment of Yahweh. Samuel said, Then what does this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the cattle which I hear mean? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the cattle to sacrifice to Yahweh your God. We have utterly destroyed the rest. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell you what Yahweh said to me last night. He said to him, Say on. Samuel said, Though you were little in your own sight, weren't you made the head of the tribes of Israel? Yahweh anointed you king over Israel, and Yahweh sent you on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then didn't you obey Yahweh's voice, but took the plunder and did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight? Saul said to Samuel, 
But I have obeyed Yahweh's voice and have gone the way which Yahweh sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and cattle, the chief of the devoted things, to sacrifice to Yahweh your God in Gilgal. Samuel said, Has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying Yahweh's voice? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as idolatry and teraphim. Because you have rejected Yahweh's word, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of Yahweh and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship Yahweh. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected Yahweh's word, and Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned around to go away, Saul grabbed the skirt of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, Yahweh has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Also, the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and come back with me that I may worship Yahweh your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshipped Yahweh. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites, here to me. Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. Then Samuel cut Agag in pieces before Yahweh in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death, for Samuel mourned for Saul, and Yahweh grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. That's the end of chapter 15. Let's go over a few things, and let's do them in order as they appear in the chapter. So first, the reference to Amalek, just in case you missed it, is using the name of a person to reference the nation that is descended from them. This person, Amalek, is descended from Esau, but is not considered an Edomite. You can see this in Genesis chapter 36. In this chapter, God, through Samuel, gives Saul some very specific instructions about carrying out judgment against the nation of Amalek because of how they mistreated the people of Israel. Now, the time that he is referring to at first is obviously previous generations, but then other things he says indicate that the Amaleks are still sinners, meaning they still have a heart to follow wickedness. So as a people, they are continuing down the path that was evidenced by their rejection of God's people in the past. So it is time for judgment. There are various aspects of this judgment that I'm going to talk about some, but first we just need to talk about the idea that there is a time for judgment. All of us know that even in our own personal lives, there comes a point at which you don't put up with things anymore for good reason. And our moral codes are not nearly as perfect as God's. 
Now, let me mention that in doing some reading to verify my understanding of Amalek in the Bible, I came across people who are calling this genocide of Amalek. But this is not just an indiscriminate killing of people because of who they're descended from. This is a judgment on a people specifically because of their wickedness. Over and over, people who do not want to accept the truth of God's righteousness and judgment and love all combined come up with words to describe what is happening in the Bible and in life that are derogatory and paint things in just a distorted picture that so like any judgment of a people like this is called genocide or when strange mysterious things happen that they don't understand they call them magic but this is disingenuous because Often these same people think that somewhere along the line, evolution caused an ape to talk, so they don't have a leg to stand on with that argument. But to be sure, the language used here in talking about the judgment of Amalek is very stark and brutal. Let's go over a few points to help think about this. First of all, God made everything, and he knows the whole picture, the beginning to the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and he is long-suffering and not willing that any should perish. But as I said, there comes a time for judgment, because true goodness judges evil. Two, we often don't understand the whole picture, and we don't have an understanding often of how bad sin is. But if we are honest, we all know that we have been in situations where we have only heard one part of the story, and due to our lack of understanding of everything involved, we come to a conclusion. And then when we gain more understanding, and it can just be a little detail, something we missed, and then we see that there's a completely different picture to what was being presented. But I have to add that, ironically, many people who would decry the supposed unfairness and brutality of killing children in the Bible support abortion and killing the most innocent of babes. So again, they're inconsistent. Third, there is much about God's character that is obvious in that he has created us to love and to be loved, to know beauty, to enjoy pleasure and joy. And he is not an evil or capricious God, and he would be incapable of being that way by his very nature. And so it is very presumptuous of us in our limited capacity to judge that which we do not fully understand. So when coming face to face with something about God or in the scripture that doesn't make sense to us or seems off, it's best to start from a place of our own incompetence and lack of understanding. For it is possible that there are turns of phrase in this version in this story that we don't understand from the original language. That has come home to me in different ways as I'm studying Chinese and learning Chinese idioms. I'm going to link to a couple of articles on the website that will discuss this in more detail. But in summary, there is a pretty good case to be made for this statement and even the way God is using the language to be hyperbole along the lines of when two sports teams are playing and one says to the other, I'm going to obliterate you. Now, this in no way negates the fact that this was very severe and there was killing, but we also know that there were Amalekites later in the Bible. They particularly show up where David is fighting them, and then there's an Amalekite that comes to tell David that Saul is dead, and Haman in the book of Esther seems to be descended from the Amalekites, as he's called an Agagite. (laughs) That's a mouthful. 
A fifth point is that we equate death with evil, and while death is the result of our wickedness, God enacting or allowing death is not an act of evil, but of justice, and in some ways of saving us from living in an eternal state of sin. So while it is undoubtedly evil for one person to arbitrarily or selfishly kill another person who is made in God's image, God, as the creator and sovereign, has every right and insight in how to apply justice, which sometimes involves death. Sixth, it is tempting to start at the periphery of excuses with things we don't understand, but God has supplied plenty of information in creation, in our sense of ourselves, in historical resources, including a verifiable Bible with sound explanations of minor copy copy errors or limited limits of cultural understanding, and in archaeological evidence, all of these things to show the core foundation for believing in him and trusting in him and his salvation is rock solid. And point number seven alludes to something I said previously. There are extraordinary things in the Bible, from talking animals to catastrophic floods, and these things are different than some of the things we have become used to. But anyone who scoffs at the Bible due to these stories has not adequately reflected on the mind-blowing nature of the universe. Is it any less marvelous that the earth hangs on nothing and circles the sun? Our God is quite capable of miracles, and it is only our ignorance or sinful choices and attitudes that lead us to conveniently talk ourselves out of acknowledging Him. And, for example, when people do that, that leads to completely wicked societies like the Amalekites. And this is wickedness that then pervades everything and just corrupts all of life around them, and hence judgment. It's a little unclear in the chapter because God, Yahweh of armies, says go and strike Amalek. And then when Saul does it, it gives a specific region that he does it for. Why he only kills the Amalekites in that region is unclear, like I said. But when Samuel comes to evaluate what Saul has done, he doesn't seem to have any problem with exactly who Saul killed, although his reference to the bleating of the sheep and all, showing that Saul didn't follow directions, could just be an indication of overall lack of following directions. Let me point out that just because God is grieved that something did happen does not mean that he didn't know it was going to happen. You can know that something's going to happen and still be grieved when it does actually happen. In the second part of the chapter, starting with verse 12, we start to get lots of indications that Saul is only interested in how he looks before the people. So starting here with him setting up a monument to himself. And then in an an ironic twist, the king that the people of Israel had begged for to lead them then blames them for leading him to do wrong things. And then Saul goes so far as to try to say that he has obeyed Yahweh's voice when he clearly has not. That particular claim of his really made me stop and think, is there anything in my life where I say that I'm walking in God's ways, but I'm just doing it enough so that I can feel good about myself instead of obeying wholeheartedly? And then, just to make things worse, Saul tries to say that he disobeyed in order to honor God. When Samuel sticks to his guns about 
what Saul has done, and Saul feels he has no choice. He admits to sinning, but it's pretty obvious that he only wants Samuel to stick around so that he, Saul, will look good in front of the people. He's afraid of not being looked at as king anymore. It's kind of like the example when you have kids and you're talking to them about being repentant or sorry for what they've done and trying to help them understand the difference between really being sorry that they have done it or just being sorry that they got caught. And right here, Saul is only sorry that he got caught. And even in the midst of that, he makes the very sad switch to where he starts to talk about worshiping Yahweh, your God. So he's no longer saying that Yahweh is his God or my God. And then Samuel cuts Agag in pieces. I kind of have to assume that Agag was really killed with the first blow. I mean, you cut a significant part of the body and the person dies. So the cutting in pieces is more a statement to the rest of the people and in judgment for what the Amalekites and Agag have done. This is what sin leads to. It leads to total brutal destruction. And Agag had apparently done that to many other people, according to what Samuel says. So in killing Agag, Samuel was saving other people's lives in the future. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.